The witch's cackle burns the eye that sees the danger you are in. Sometimes we're wrong, but we want to prove that we are right, so we begin. Watch out, there's a sword and it's coming for your neck. In this battle for salvation, in this battle salvation hello everyone and welcome to episode 20 of battle for salvation warhammer underworlds podcast this is max bernstein i'm randall slate and today we have a special guest on the program from the crit defense podcast we have matt martin hey guys welcome man um thanks for joining us uh, and thanks for uh coming to help us talk about the wild hunt today um but first we have some other stuff to deal with before we get to that a couple of tournament updates uh next sunday uh this coming sunday we have at the rift uh that's uh november 10th 12 p.m in peakskill new york i will be toing that one uh we had a much better turnout there than we have in the past so come on down and join us uh we also have the du bois gt i guess not a gc it's just a gt and that's on November 8th. That's up in Henrietta, New York. Uh, so if you're in that area or if you really want to travel, go ahead up there. Shout out to the Bills Brothers. Uh, that's their meta. And uh, Matt, you have uh, Warzone Atlanta coming up. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, just real quick, though, I just want to say thanks for having me on. It's going to be a pleasure to be on. Yeah, Warzone Atlanta, that's uh, November 8th. It's uh, this upcoming Friday. It's going to be... Uh, Sign in, I believe it's at six o'clock and it kicks off at seven. So it's an evening uh, tournament. But if anyone's in the area and they're so inclined, it's three rounds, best of three matches. Um, and we're going to have some uh, um, just kind of like, uh, what do you call that? Like um, uh, unique prizes that we're going to make for it. So it's not, it's not officially sponsored by anybody except for the Wars in Atlanta crew. All right. So just having a lot of fun, getting some stuff in. Sounds a lot like our, our Battle for Salvation um the big tournaments where we get a bunch of people playing 40k and a lot of it is like homemade or you know homespun uh you know prize payouts something like mm -hmm. that all right sounds good um we also want to congratulate randall randall won his second glass trophy this past oh, weekend yeah. yeah man i did that you did that and it's a good thing i messaged you because when we were going to uh, get started on the tournament. I'm like, hey, Randall, are you coming? And well, he's I like, just, I just what? wasn't feeling that good that day. Right. Well, uh, yeah, there's a lot of that going around, not feeling good and then showing up to uh, tournaments and doing really well, looking at you, Michael Carlin. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, though. Um, and what were you running? Thorns of the Briar Queen. Of Every course. Time. Every time. Every time. Never stop. I mean, you, you run Thorns really well. And, um, and I had to play against you. And uh, what did we go? Uh, I think I won one of those uh, one of those games. Yep, pretty and good. Uh, I was playing Wild Hunt Wild, because Wild I have to Hunt. for <laughs> I have to because we have a podcast. Mm -hmm. Yep, and uh, and we need to talk about it. So we need to know what it feels like to to pilot them, but also to pilot against them. And you'll help us out with that a little bit later on because you've played a few things against my Wild Hunt. Yeah, I've also um, played Wild Hunt a little bit and tried. I I tried some really weird stuff but i like the way that people have settled out on uh what they what they're taking 
Yeah. I was right, trying well, some can... more crazy stuff and didn't really work out too well, but you had to try it to see if it works. Exactly. And, you know, we've said in the past, one of the most important things you can do is to to play everything at least a little bit so you can kind of see how the, uh, the warband feels so that mm-hmm. you know what your opponent's doing uh, when they play against you. Um, so, and so this really warband was a lot of fun to play, so it wasn't that bad of a, a time. Okay, cool. how to play them. Uh, and also, just because we're still in our tournament update uh, and our event uh, update section, um, the Stanford uh, store, they, they they feel good about uh, Underworlds a little bit more now. Uh, they're going to be doing one Sunday a month. We'll be at, at this uh, location in Stanford, Connecticut. That's going to be a uh, just kind of like an open play day for them. And then they'll be doing a, a quarterly kit every every three months. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's free, obviously, because GW store, typically when you go to GW stores, the tournaments are free. And uh, the first one will be on November 24th. That will be a an open play, learn to play day. Sweet. Cool. All right, Matt. Hey, we got you. Yep. All right. So as as we always do when we have a guest on, we like to get your biography so people can kind of know where you're coming from and uh, both personally and where the meta is. So first of all, uh, you're in the Atlanta area. Yep. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Real cool. All right. So so we'll get you started. Uh, why did you get into this game in the first place? Uh, well, why? Uh, I have or a how? Good buddy. Yeah, how? I used to live in Columbus, Georgia, uh, which is south of Atlanta, about an hour and a half. And uh, my best friend down there was really into ALS, and he started getting into Shadespire. And uh, I'd never played any tabletop war games before that. Um, but one day he's like, hey, man, let me just show you this game. And it was instantly a hit with me. It was a home run right off the bat. Uh, it just kind of like had all the elements of all like the types of games that you like. If it's card games or strategic games or, you know, tabletop miniatures games. It had all that stuff rolled into one. And it was just a lot of fun. And I like the tactical aspect, the deck building aspect, and then just the uh, social aspect. Um, so that's really how I got into it. Sure. And, and, and where do you play down there? Cause there are, I, I know I've seen at least a few different locations where they play underworlds down there. Yeah. The, so here in Atlanta, the main store that our crew plays at is called gigabytes cafe. And that's in Marietta, Georgia. Um, you know, just like one of the, the outlying uh, suburbs of, of Atlanta and uh, it's a large store. Um, you know, they have plenty of room for tabletop gaming, plenty of room for uh, you know, magic the gathering. There's, you know, all sorts of different uh, role-playing, uh, you know, groups and stuff that go there. Um, they're really fun. And then outside of that, we travel to any of the stores in the Atlanta area or surrounding areas that also have uh, Warhammer Underworlds to include the two GW stores that are down here, as well as a couple local stores uh, that we talk about on our podcast here and there. Cool. What's a, so, so that's a pretty solid scene over there. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 How, so. how often are they running tournaments? Uh, let's see. It's anywhere between one to four tournaments a month that we go to. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. They're, I dig that. The frequent. That's pretty frequent. Um, okay. And, uh, what's your favorite Underworlds faction to play all time? Which one have you had the most success with? Which one do you enjoy the most? Whatever you want to say. Well, the one that I like the most, uh, is my old school Garrett's Reavers. Uh, they're the first Ooh. war band that I got into and I just love their play style and Blooded Sake is my boy. He is my favorite fighter in this game of all time. And I think his model is just badass. Um, all right. 
Yeah, he's my favorite. The one I've had the most success with, though, is probably uh, God's One Hunt, just because I've won two tor- uh, two tournaments with them. Really? Um, but yeah, if we're going off of just the shake glass trophies, God's One Hunt are the one that I've had the most success with. Gotcha. And how much glass do you actually have? Uh, six trophies. Nice. And what factions did you win them with? So we had two with Godsworn. Uh, yep, two got. So my first one was with Garrick's Reavers. Then the next tour with the Godsworn Hunt. Uh, what did I do after that? The Spike Claw Swarm. Nice. Thorns of the Briar Queen and then Skase Wild Hunt. Right. We got to pick up one of those. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Ever play in a Grand Clash? I played in a Grand Battle. The uh, American team. Oh right, the ATC. Uh, yeah, That's ATC. right. You were down there. You saw Randall and everybody else down yep, there. Okay. In uh, June of this past summer. Um, Got it. Yeah, I went there and we did the team tournament there, which they called it a Grand Battle. So uh, I right, it's a Grand Clash. Maybe it's going to be like one of those like Grand Skirmishes. Maybe yeah, it falls the, into that well, the category. Next was, the next day was technically a Grand Skirmish. So. I've done both of those two. Just oh wait, and also the Grand Clash down Dallas. I almost forgot about that one because it was so small. But which one? The yeah. Grapevine one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. So oh so you were at the one with the uh, with the Mon and Jonathan and everybody. Yep. And Tony Field. Okay. And, Tony uh, Field. Yeah. That's yep, right. All those guys. But funny thing about ATC, you pulled a reverse Davy on me. Yeah. Where right. uh, you 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 know we were we had been friends on Facebook but then you started coming up and talking to me and I was like oh okay and and you you had a beard oh but yeah your profile picture on <laughs> oh, Facebook yeah, doesn't, doesn't have, have a beard and I didn't That's know right. who you were and yeah. Davey did that to me but in reverse his, his right cuz he had a, a mustache and now he doesn't yeah. have it yeah. yeah that's right yeah i got gotcha. yeah. you uh well, how how did you finish with it? the facial hair Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I can't stand those things, to be honest with you. I grow it out and I'm just like, this is so annoying. And I just shave it off. And okay. Nobody ever knows if I'm going to have one. Um, wh- how did you finish at those two events, Matt? In the grand battle, um, we, we finished like mid mid table. I think there was 12 teams overall. I think we finished like six yeah, or something, something like that. Or, I don't know. It was, it was one of the events that we started off really strong and then just got annihilated as we progressed further. So didn't finish as great as we wanted there. And then the Grand Clash down Dallas, I finished 8th, I want to say. And uh, Jonathan Davis, uh, we were both playing Godsworn Hunt. He finished 7th, I want to say. Um, so, right. yeah. You guys were trying to trying to make Godsworn work. And Tony Field. Three of us yeah. all rock Godsworn there, trying to give him yep. some glass. Well, I'll tell you what, they still, they still don't have a Grand Clash win as far as I know. But yep. uh, we, we, got, we got to get him one eventually yeah um all right and also you have started um a podcast down in atlanta with a couple buddies of yours um called crit def is it it crit defense it's crit def crit def does it have the exclamation point in it still yes it does so if you're looking it up it's on podbean right yes yeah we're on podbean right now there's like one or two small things that you do to get onto itunes uh that i Leave that up to Corey, who is like our tech guru. All right. I mean, I've, I've found it on Podbean. I've been listening to it. So if you just do C-R-I-T-D-E-F, it just pops up. So not too difficult to find. Um, t- tell us about the podcast, though. What have you guys been been doing on that? Uh, we're just, you know, a group of friends that play the game. They want to bring just that home feeling to uh, a podcast. Where we're just sitting around uh, enjoying some some drinks and maybe some food talking about the game we love you know we try to approach it with a more laid back and uh you know i guess uh relaxed uh approach yeah i've noticed that 
you guys seem like you're just having like like a little just like a little chill out session but recording yeah. it um you know a little bit a little bit of nice little ambient music in the background yeah yeah we've been, we've been uh, toying with things and starting to really mold it into what we want and it's going to be our style so yeah it's nice no- definitely give it a listen if you haven't already Absolutely. I mean, uh, I've been listening to it and I, I enjoy every episode so far. Uh, so don't screw it up. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, 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 it's been great. It's been great. And it, it is its own, it has its own flavor to it. And, um, I think that's great. Uh, so last question I always ask when, uh, when we have a guest who's like part of a larger group is, um, who's the best, uh, underworlds player in your group? Is it you, JT or Corey? uh if we're going and defend your a, position defend your position oh man it's tough because to tell the truth i'm not really sure how much glass the other two have uh individually uh God, it's tough we're all actually pretty equal but oh so I'm diplomatic come on I'm probably the best overall yeah you are we're, we're really getting down to yeah brass tacks uh yeah i'm obviously <laughs> the best of course of course yeah. Um, do you guys have like different like play styles? Like, does do people like particular things? Like, Randall's more into the objective stuff, and I'm kind of I'm I'm more of an aggro fan, but I've obviously had to flex more lately. Ah, flexing, ah, flexing so hard. Hold on a second, I'm just gonna flex. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I typically go with a more aggro style. I think uh, JT he uh, flexes pretty well between whatever style he needs to for that warband. He's good at that. Corey likes uh, trying out the stuff that's a little bit like outside the box, um, but he's very cagey and, and very uh, smart with his play. So gotcha. we have slightly different styles and I think different strengths. All right, cool. Uh, that was surprisingly diplomatic of you. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's uh, let's move on. We'll go to the B block now. Uh, the second thing we wanted to talk about uh, today on the program is that there were actually three grand clashes that were uh, that occurred since our last episode. Uh, we had the St. Petersburg Open, the SoCal Open, and of course the Warhammer World GC. Um, we're going to get started talking about the St. Petersburg Open because basically we don't know very much about it because it was in Russia. It's not St. Petersburg, Florida. It's definitely <laughs> Russia. Definitely Russia. And let's see what's going on here. Um, the other thing is, so all the decks are on, you know, Underworld's DB, and you can find them I th- probably on the other ones as well, um, all the deck builders. But uh, there, there's no first place deck on this. I don't think it's been released yet. But it seems as though there were 26 players, which is, you know, small but not terrible. It's about the same as Adepticon uh, this past year. And... What's that? Not Adepticon. Adepticon had like a hundred people. No, which one am I talking about? Oh, Gen sorry, uh, Gen Con. It was yeah. Gen Con. Gen Con, which was around twenty something. All right, uh, sounds good. And let's see. Uh, we know that Banshees won that one. Yes. Okay, that that's confirmed. It is Lady Harrow's Mournflight. Yep. There you go. So we got Banshees. We have Guardians coming in second. Uh, followed by Gits, Thorns, and we have a very distant fifth Grimwatch, which I'm surprised by because they've been doing so well yeah. elsewhere. Um, so you guys can check out those decks. Uh, as with all of the times that I've ever looked at these uh, these Russian deck lists, they always have some like three or four things in them that I'm like, what is that doing in there? Uh, like the, the Guardians deck, for instance, has Domain Denied. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, which is like, I don't think the first thing you would you would pick. Um, we have uh, denial in a in a guardians deck, which I think is kind of crazy. Well, it's a different, uh, different meta over there. Different, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like that's. I, I'm curious. I, I think eventually we have to get like like a like a Russian player on and just be like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, you know, revenant rage, which is not a bad card, but I don't know if it makes the top ten cut. You know, but um, I mean, uh, it did well, so uh, I don't know what to say. Um, all right, so that's the St. Petersburg uh, one. Anything else you guys want to say about that, or should we move on? Just move on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't know what's going on over there. Um, SoCal Open uh, had 15, 16 players in it, and uh, we have uh, the Lady Harrow's Mourn Flight again coming in first, and um, looking at them. They're uh, they're pretty good. I think that they I think that they pick up a lot from all the Beastgrave stuff because a lot of the Beastgrave stuff uh, works well with them. Uh, a lot of standing and objective stuff. Uh, I see I see eleven gambits and eleven upgrades. Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's talk about these banshees for just a minute. Um, that's they've now won two grand clashes in the same week. Um, what do we think about them as like a top level performer? Well, you yeah, said that uh, they they benefit a lot from from Beastgrave, and I definitely think they do. And they're they're the way that they play, um, is very in a good spot against a lot of the war bands that are popular right now, like um, Thorns and Grimwatch, because they have to be on the objectives, and they have so many cards within their faction that are really strong, right? Um. A couple Matt of the Schultz? good ones, this uh, Dominion of Death and uh, you know Nexus of Terror are both very good uh, objectives that can get a ton of glory for them. And yeah. because they want to be on the objectives and they're pretty like they have pretty good defense, and they're all really fast and have ways to get around the board really easily. Um, they can they can really put a hurt on Grimwatch. I think they have a good matchup against Grimwatch. Yeah, I mean, you have that one character that can just show up on any hex right. anywhere. Right. Yeah. And they all are fast. They move four or five. They right. can move through lethals, which is also really good. Uh, and they can just get you. Yeah, they have a lot of dice, too. Sure. Matt, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, Corey's been piloting them since Dreadfang came out, so I have plenty of practice against them. And, um, yeah, just what Randall was saying, they're really strong. They have tons of in-faction cards that are very good. And oh, I yeah. Think it's kind of indicative of, uh, you know, the new season, how, you know, Games Workshop has really taken the faction-specific stuff and made them actually playable straight out of the box. And you really see that with, uh, with the Banshees. So they have tons of passive glory they can score just by, you know, moving through objective tokens, moving through block hexes, like stuff that, that – you know, you, you're not really thinking it's going to be coming. And if you get too close to them, um, you know, they're going to swarm you, inspire, and then make you pay for it. And their fighters themselves are very, very tricky. Um, like you said, the one fighter that just kind of pops up as an action. Yeah, the widow. Leader, yeah, the leader who, uh, you know, if you don't attack her, she gets a free push. You know, um, the other one where you have like negative dice, or, uh, or if you're standing next to her or no crits don't count as, crits don't count yeah, so so crits bad crits to, don't that, count against her damn yeah just bs sorry man 
Um, so. Another thing I'm noticing about this deck is that, and remember, this is a deck that somebody brought with them to try to win and, and, and eventually did win a Grand Clash. It has, it looks like 12 faction-specific cards hmm. in the deck. And I really like this um, this movement of the power in the card pool shifting from the the universals and shifting a little bit back to the factions making it a little bit more balanced and i like that and i like that that's kind of where they're going with it i wish they had figured this out a little sooner because there are some of the older war bands where that's not really the case right um but i like that they kind of picked up on it and they're starting to do that more because it gives the game a little bit more flavor like every every war band kind of has what what they do and like that's their thing yeah, yeah, that makes it easier to balance the game later, I guess, when you don't have like because we've we've been seeing that in in an attempt to balance out some of the stronger factions by restricting the universal cards, you end up hurting some of the factions that weren't even that great in the, to begin with. Yeah, the uh, I think um, you know another part of that though is the flip side that you don't want to make a faction. Uh, all their cards too strong, so it's a balancing act. <coughs> Grimlock yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, oh. and Curse Breaker. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, Curse Breaker I just, and uh... Grimwatch both have really strong um, infaction cards that I think put them over the top. Yeah, um, and uh, and before we move on, I do want to give a shout out to Matt Cassidy, who I mentioned in the last episode because he's the guy that i played to get my despoilers glass and then he was also winning a bunch of other glass during during that time period he actually went to socal open and came in second with the grim watch so uh so congrats to matt uh again new player really good watch out for him all right moving on speaking of grim watch and tournaments we had one of the biggest tournaments in Warhammer history, uh, Warhammer Underworld's history, and that was uh, the the Warhammer World Grand Clash, and this was uh, this was a hundred and fourteen ish players because I, I heard that there was like a little weird thing about the um, the the BCP and how they had like doubles. You were talking about this, Matt, on your last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was around one hundred and fourteen players, but uh, coming on top is a friend of the show and um, the only man to hold the supremacy of American podcasts. Uh, that is Michael Carlin. And I just want to, I love me some Michael Carlin. Everybody loves he Michael finally Carlin. Did it. He, he did it. And you know, he's been working at it for so long. I, I messaged him uh, between day one and day two. And I said, Hey, how's it going over there? He's like, well, I made the cut, but man, I don't feel good today. Like he was really like sick. And I'm like, oh my God, you're going to have the Michael Jordan flu game. That was the Michael Jordan <laughs> flu game. All right. Oh man, he's going to do it. And then he did it. So it's like totally, what, what year was that? Was it like 1996 Chicago Bulls or something like that? And he had the flu and he scored like 58 points and yeah. then they went on to win the whole thing. So he did it. And I, I really like that. So Michael Carlin is, is now like the Michael Jordan, I think. Of uh, of of Shadespire, <laughs> okay. uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, other people, other people are the Wayne Gretzky of, of Shadespire, but he's specifically well, who, the Michael Jordan. Who's the because, LeBron James? Because then the what's that? Gonna, I don't know. We're going to be comparing those two. I don't know. He's in LA, yeah. so maybe Tony Field. I don't know. Yeah, him um, and uh, John Wynn Reese, different times. You know, different times. Different times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's fine. It's different fine. Time. We, 
Exactly. We got we got the best of many different sports to compare other people to later on. Um, I'm definitely the Tony Kukoc of uh, Shadespire because <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I ride the pine mostly because um, I barely ever go to big tournaments. Okay. All right. The metaphor is kind of losing its uh, it, its heft. But um, uh, big up to, to Michael Carlin. Um, Steel City Underworld, Steel City Sheffield, England, not Pittsburgh. And um, yeah, number one uh, through 114 people. Can't believe it. And just congratulations, man. Um, however, we... Uh, didn't really need anybody to prove to us that that the Grimwatch were great because mm-hmm. we kind of knew that. Now, so, one, one thing we want to say about Michael Carlin is My- Michael Carlin likes to really push the boundaries of this game. Yep. Uh, when he builds decks. And a lot of times he will look to, I don't want to say exploit, but he will, he will look to utilize uh the rules that put put like stress points on the on the game on the no game. say exploit i think that's fine that's a fine word to use because that's what you're doing you're finding ways to make to 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 use the game in a way that nobody else is thinking right, that, right. that that makes a huge advantage so right. a lot of times when when he goes to grand clashes they will sort of uh clarify the rules one day or the or the day of the tournament um, just so nobody uh, has any has any confusion or any feel bad moments when they when they play Michael Carlin, <laughs> and that was uh, last time he was trying to do the. Um, do you remember Festering back Hunter. a while ago where the tomes, yeah. some of the tomes oh. didn't say cataphrane tome on them, right? Yeah, and he was trying to do a tomes deck with that, and they ruled that on the day of, and so we have uh, a, a a fresh fresh controversy here, and we're calling it. Mustergate. Yeah. Right. Well, Matt was talking about that on the Crypt Death yeah. thing, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that's that's where we got the name from. That's so 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 Matt, tell tell us about like what happened over here. I mean, Mustergate, I tell truth, I'm not exactly sure where the phrase was coined, you know, but uh, I first heard it from our local buddy, uh Blake Huffman, who uh he it, it's it's essentially all those weird rules mechanics for the Grimwatch all all rolled into one kind of subject title that we just called Mustergate, right? Uh, and it revolves around the muster ability, the ghoul call ability, the resurrecting, uh, you know, scatter ability, and uh, or like where the where the token goes, and any other weird thing we just have it under that title. Yeah, let's let's break that down for a second. So the first first topic we have is uh the leader of the Grimwatch, Crack Marrow. He has a action on his card that happens at, it's a is it an action? It's a reaction. Right? Uh oh, so no, it's a, the, I think it's has, just an action. He has the ghoul call action, then he has the muster gate uh ability. Or sorry not muster gate the muster ability. <laughs> muster gate yeah. ability. See how muster fun it is ability. to coin phrases. Well it's a, yeah so muster says at the start of the action phase this fighter makes a ghoul call action. Mm-hmm. But so. the issue is that people were saying <laughs> if there's no if there's no crypt ghoul out of action, can I still do this? And rules as written, and this is uh this is like a conversation that I've had with people online. Rules as written, it says you make it. Right. right? And the reason that's important is because there's the card uh, Keep Them Guessing says that you have to do right. an action printed on a fighter's card. 
And what you right. could so do with one that of is, let's say, covered. on the first turn. Yeah, let's say on turn, turn the first turn of the game, you could say, you know, before any anybody before the the activation round has started, you could say, "I'm I'm going to have Crack Marrow do his muster where he does a ghoul call action. It targets nobody. However, now I have fulfilled that that part of uh, keep them guessing, right. without even using an, an action. So that exactly. that's the that's the controversy there. Yeah, you're twenty five percent of the way towards keep them guessing without doing anything. Without doing anything, yeah, right. So it makes it easier on you. I mean, it was kind of like you know the reaction thing for Thundrix Profiteers was like another thing where all you had to do was move him and you've done two, mm -hmm. because before that was when before when reactions were considered to be an action, right? And right. then they FAQ'd that, but there has not been an FAQ for this yet. So at so at the tournament they had to come up with kind of like this is what this is what we're thinking this means and this is how we're going to rule it um even though it's not official but that was at warhammer world so chances are it's as official as you're going to get before they right. put out an faq right. yeah yeah we're right. waiting for the faq this is the highest level of uh you know authority i guess you can say uh making a ruling on this and can i just point something out about this this would not have been super difficult to for GW to like circumvent by simply writing the rules on the card a little bit more clearly because and also it's not like they haven't written gigantic, you know, action explanations on the back of things like, you know, Snurk Sourtongue has a freaking Tolstoy novel on it <laughs> yeah. and we still have had trouble with that because it was kind of <laughs> weird. And um they couldn't have just like not put any, you know, like just move the thing over, make it in smaller text or something like that. Did they run out of space in the graphic design or whatever? Because now we're all sitting here going like, well, what is it? So they're going to have to errata this where they yeah. put in, you know, other information. Like you can't do it if there's no ghoul out of action. The scatter token cannot be placed on an edge hex. And by the way, that's like, what, 12 extra words to put both of those things in? Like, I don't know why they weren't able to to, to see that coming. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, anyway. and then you mentioned the second part of that. This the second part of this was uh when you when you're bring back the ghouls, you have to use the um the scatter token and to sort of randomize what side of the board they come out on. Right. Oh, and, and by the way, anytime I do that, I always roll single supports, just pointing that out. Go okay. Ahead. <laughs> you always end up <laughs> just like where oh, you don't want to be all the yeah. way over there. That's yeah, okay. nowhere near where I want to <laughs> I'm gonna him. place it here so I end up here. Oh, oh I guess I'm over there now. All right, well. Uh, but anyway, th so th what what people were saying was when you use the scatter token, people were trying to put it like place the scatter token directly in the corner, right? So that, so that way, like yeah, like four three of the, the rolls five, would yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but then they ruled that you and then and then he the the ghoul would just if you rolled any of the three combinations, then your ghoul would just appear on top of the scatter token in that corner. So and that's why they ruled yeah, at so the tournament that it. you can't put it on an edge hex. It yeah. has to be off the edge, even though it doesn't right. say anything like that on the card. Right. Yeah. That's I think that's one thing that people point to saying that, well, yes, this was a grand clash ruling that the TO said, but it's still not an official ruling. That's right. Because they're gonna have to, like you said, errata or FAQ that to be different because it says nothing about not placing the token on the edge hex on the card itself. Exactly. 
And they also discuss, you know, furthest point, which was really kind of confusing. I, I mean, I understand it to mean the furthest point on the battlefield, even if that goes through, you know, edge hexes or incomplete hexes or off the battle or off the battlefield and then back on if you're like in a diagonal uh, deployment um, where it would go like all the way in the back. Well, um, I don't know. Of, I don't know if that's... actually. I don't know if they actually talked about that specifically. Um, in you know, I, just, I briefly talked to Michael Carlin on the big Discord. Uh, you know, the big Warhammer Underworlds Discord, mm -hmm. and yeah, he said no muster if there's no dead crypt ghoul, um, right. no scatter token with the token on the edge, and no inspire uh, if dead, meaning like any oh, crypt ghouls yeah, are yeah. dead. They don't get to inspire with the rest of the warband if they're but, out of action. But they shouldn't. If they're out of action, they don't interact with the game. Right. But that was still an issue that people were arguing, I mean, saying, you know, yeah, right. on the card, it's inspired, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's nothing that I've seen yet that officially says um, the whole, like, if the boards are offset and your scatter would be, you know, going through off the board and then back onto the board. If it's that first edge that you come up against or if it's, the you know, on the other board, um, it's extreme yeah. flank all over again. Man. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's still up in the air. Yeah. Can can you can you ban a character card? I don't think so. At least with with, with extreme flank, you could just say, okay, just don't use this card. But uh, but this is like on a this is, this is on a fighter card. Like I don't know how you do that. It definitely has to be errated. Agreed. All right. Um. But uh. So besides that, though. Uh, Carlin was even with all of those things, not going crack marrow's way, because I, I feel like all of those things are actually against what yeah. Grimwatch wants. Yeah, they, uh, they are. Carlin still freaking did it. And I think that's amazing. That's like another level of crazy. Um, yeah. so, so big ups to Michael, uh, he's a great guy. And, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll talk to him when we talk to him next and he'll tell us all about it. Um, all right. Anyway. Ready to go on to uh, onto the wild hunt, which is the the point of this episode. We good for that? Ready, ready to go. All right, all right. And now for the uh, the meat of this episode, uh, we're gonna start talking about the wild hunt. Um, Matt, you and I have been playing these guys for a little while now. I brought them to a tournament. You brought them to a tournament. You've been playing them uh, pretty much consistently uh, since they came out. And um, let's talk about how they are. Let's talk about what they do well. Let's talk about what they don't do so well. Let's start with what they do well, Matt. Start us off. Uh, so kind of just give a little context to how I assess them. Uh, mm -hmm. I like to reference Tony Field's article from, um, I think it was last May. He had on his, um, you know, his blog, uh, end, the end phase, and he was talking about aggro and kind of the different things that need to take in consideration when you're building for an aggro style warband. And he says speed, damage output, and accuracy are kind of the main things you want to look at. Um, so in that context, these guys have a lot of speed. They're all based on four. Uh, and then the animals, i.e. Scathe and Legane, the cat, uh, all start off with baseline five. Yeah, which uh, is a lot. Yeah. To start. Exactly. Yeah. They're, uh, and then their accuracy is actually pretty decent. Um, they all roll for hammers, except for uh, Legane, the cat. Rolls for swords and then scathe on his kicking hooves attack, uh, which is when he's inspired becomes a scything attack. That rolls for swords, but it's three swords. Yeah, it's three of them, so it's still pretty yeah. good. Yeah, so they're they're actually not bad as far as accuracy. Uh, the thing and then you they, get the horn counter. Yeah, and the horn right, counter. So you get a, right. Yeah, his his in his inbuilt uh, action, his horn blower action, 
um, allows you to, to essentially is like a built-in uh, feel by fury for the next attack action that you do. You can reroll any of the dice in that attack action. But of course, it, it, it takes up an action, it takes up an activation. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes uh, having that having that horn counter has really saved me in a couple of games, just having it there. The other thing is that it works for the next attack action. So it kind of sits on him for a while. And if you do like a move or a guard, it's still there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you're ready to do the attack, it's, it's, it's available for you. And just to clarify, it's, it's next friendly fighter attack action. Um, right. I know some people have wondered, is the next attack action period? No, it specifically says friendly fighters attack action. Right. All right, cool. Uh, what else we got? Um, as far as like their uh, other strengths they have, uh, personally, I think they have a ton of utility. You have kind of you know a fighter for every job. Uh, you have Scaife, who when he's inspired, he has a scything attack. You have Carthane, when he's inspired, he's, he's outputting three damage. Three damage. Yeah, Shiach, yeah. when he's inspired, he has Cleave. And Elfane. a lot of that, and he gains accuracy too. Yeah, it's three, three, uh, three smash and, uh, and Cleave. Elfane has um, ensnare on her arrow, and Legane actually uh, gets ensnare too with three swords. So he is not bad either. Yeah, and we um, said that they they gain a lot by being inspired. Hmm. Um, I think uh, it, it, they gain more um, oh. defense, like yeah. the, horn, the the horn guy does, right? Carthane? So so Carthane, the the horn blower, he starts off with baseline two dodge, and it remains the same. But Shiach okay. and Elfane both get a re-roll in their defense die. So they stay at right. one dodge, but then they get to re-roll. Uh, Scaife goes up from one shield to two shields, yep. and Legang goes from one dodge one to, to two, two dodge. Yeah. yeah. All right. So they, they do gain a lot, and they gain a lot of accuracy. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit of damage just on uh, Carthane. And, uh, and yeah, no, it's pretty good stuff. Um, and also, can we just talk real quick about Scaife's uh, javelin attack? Yeah, yeah of course. That's- just for a second, uh, because that's crazy, and uh, that is a an a threat range of eight, right? Which, which is, is with his speed five, and then the three the three range of the of the javelin, he can reach out and you know that's across the board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so for me personally, because I wanted to make sure that he's involved, I need him to be inspired as soon as possible. Um, I personally was using my final activation of my first round to uh to do that javelin like almost Mm -hmm. every time where it was just like i just wanted to make sure that he throws it he gets the charge token so he can be inspired on the next round um deal a little bit of damage from a from deep um and i just wanted to make sure that it gets used because you know when when you have um when you have a character who's special like that like jagathra is another example because it's basically the same attack um you get that extra damage if it's a charge you you don't want to leave it on that character when they're dead so I, uh, so every time I would start him a little bit further back and then just my last activation of the first round was always him throwing, uh, throwing the javelin. Yeah. I think, um, you know, as war bands are piloted more, uh, people start to settle into, you know, just kind of a, a standard way of, of operating them. And I think for the most part, you want your very first activation, activation one round one to be, uh, Carthane's, uh, hunting horn action. Yep. Um, and then kind of build up and wait for that skase, um, you know, his javelin throw to really make sure it lands and you get that you get that early kill. Uh, yep. It's kind of like standard operating procedure for him. All right. So that's all the stuff that they do really well. Uh, let's talk about some of the drawbacks. Uh, so, yeah, going back to that, you know, speed, accuracy, damage, um, you know, context. 
their damage output is pretty low. And I've been finding that to be something you really have to build for with them. Yep. I, I think that's happening across the board when it comes to, to uh, the beast grave season. Mm-hmm. There's a, I can see it's being dialed back a little bit. Right. All and right. they, uh, they still are a little squishy, uh, even though, uh, starts out with four wounds and then Carthane, Shutch and Althane all have three and Legane's the only one that has two. Um, you know, three wounds still isn't a whole, whole lot, uh, especially when you have snare and pit trap out there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people then, are teching for damage. Exactly. And then, you know, one dodge or even two dodge it's, it's good. Uh, two dodge is good. And then the one dodge with rerolls is good, but still round one. They are very vulnerable, uh, especially Shiach and Althane. So you really have to, the way I like to, to play them is, again, I think similar to you, uh, Mac, keep them back just a little bit. And because they have such good speed, um, I allow myself to let my opponent kind of develop where they're going to go first. And then I strike, um, like kind of trying strategically from there. Yeah, I felt myself doing that too. I think that strategy lends itself very naturally to this warband. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed that I was playing a lot of the a lot of the games where the other team was more aggro. I, I would play a lot of them in my own zone, mm. um, and so I was always a little leery for like denial because you know I've, I've been running into denial, denial a little bit more than I used to. So like at the end, I might like try to send somebody to the other side, but um, but yeah, I, I noticed playing in my own zone a lot more than usual. Um, yeah. Yeah, what do we think about uh, about this inspire condition? Hey, that was also what I was going to talk about next. Is uh, it's tricky, um, especially because it's at the end of the of an action phase. It's not like it's in the middle of a round or something like that where they can inspire, mm-hmm. like the like uh, Godsworn Hunt, for example, just or the, upgrade on them. Yeah, or the Gun Dwarves. Yeah. So yeah. so because uh, they're a lot more measured, and when they become inspired, you really have to plan for it. And again, you don't want to expose these guys too early. So you really have to pick and choose your fights. Um, so inspiring them can be very tricky. Hmm. Do, do, do we like the idea of Blazing Soul in this deck or no? I thought about it, but uh, I think with the slots, um, even though it's a tricky inspire mechanic, it's not tricky because it's hard. It's tricky because you need to balance not exposing them and having them be killed too early. But yeah. the, the inspire condition is in in and of itself is actually pretty easy. All you have to do is make a charge action and then be alive right. at the end of the action. The, the, yeah, the hard part is just keeping them there. That's you're gonna <clears throat> you're gonna be doing that anyway. It's not like you have to go out of your way to really right. get it done. Right, but if you want to if you want to inspire multiple fighters, you have to do multiple charges, and that's just going to leave a couple guys out to dry. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless you tech for it, uh, which I know unless we talk about it. bag and tri- bag of tricks and Tome of glories. You know, we talk about right. that later on. Those are ways to do it, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, what do we think about spells in this uh, in this warband? And I will preface it by saying my initial idea for the deck, and and we'll talk about it in a minute, is that you throw a few spells in here. Right. Uh, they but, have that. Uh, in- you go ahead. No, no, no. Well, I mean, I'm saying like, like we kind of agree now that I've played it this way a little bit, that spells might be a little bit of a trap because uh, you only have one guy who can do it. He starts out as a as a single. Um, the, the, the reason why I, I threw a couple in was because of the idea of plink damage and also um, objective destruction. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I had ways to take damage off of things. So I the only three that I put in was um, Akshai. Sphere of Akshai, um, Absoth's Withering to, to help uh, to make um, certain fighters a little bit easier to kill. And then I also threw in Absoth's Unmaking for the same reason that you might use that in a Yaltharis deck. 
because you have purifying rites, which is the same as reclaim the lamentary. And if you lose the uh, the board roll and your opponent decides to take the um, objectives, they might be throwing objectives into your zone to kind of screw you up on that. And I wanted to have the ability to destroy a few. So I threw a couple of um, spells in there just to make sure it was there. And then that also that also pressured me into throwing. Uh, oh, what's the card called? Uh, soul binding in. Right. Um, but but I did find, and I I found that you know like I would get a couple of them off. I, I was scoring soul binding decently well. Um, but man, that uh, rolling a focus really ma- ruins your day on that. And uh, and you don't have you don't have any spells in your deck at all. So, yeah, the way, I mean, I, I agree. I think initially when I approached them, I was thinking, oh, cool. You know, maybe I can do magic now. Because uh, playing, I never really played for magic in, in the past. Uh, um, you know, I played Godsworn Hunt. They had a, a wizard with, uh, with uh, uh, Thedra. But, you know, no one really plays them as a magic warband. So I, got I kind of forgot say, about that. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, uh, so when I saw that Carthane can turn into an actually fairly durable, uh, you know, wizard and he's not the leader, I was like, cool, you know, I don't need to worry about him dying uh, as much. I can kind of get him into the into the fight a little more and not have to worry about it. But really, um, I think he's stronger as just a, a straight up fighter. And I don't like to rely on his magic abilities because, again, until he's inspired, he remains level one uh, yep. wizard. And then when he's inspired, then he becomes level two. But until he's inspired, he's just not reliable enough to to really tech for magic. I feel so. I don't run any magic in him myself. Right, and and to and to put him into that situation, you have to charge with him, or Toma glories him, or bag of tricks him. That's not really really who you want your bag of tricks caddy to be. Yeah, because if you're going to do bag of tricks, who do you put it on? Uh, Legain, probably the lion, right? Because yeah. what else are you going to do with it? Basically, yeah. it's it's your bag of tricks caddy and your uh, calculated risk player. Yeah, um, yeah. And because uh, he's fast too, and um, yeah, so uh, I, I was playing with it. I was getting a little bit of, um, I was getting a little bit of uh, usefulness out of it, but it may be a little bit of a trap. I don't know if it was optimal. Yeah, because they do um, give you a lot of spells in the the pack, and there are right. a lot of good uh, universal spells that would benefit them. But the fact that he starts at one, you have to charge with him to get to level two. Um, yep, it really limits what kind of spells you can put in your deck. And then, you know, if you're taking these sort of uh, ineffectual ones or like situational ones like Abatsas, uh Unmaking, then when if he dies, then it's just like a dead card yeah. in your hand. So it's it, I think I think it is a little bit of a trap to put too many spells in your deck. I'd say maybe yeah. one, maybe one. Uh, if your meta is filled with a lot of uh, Grimwatch and Thorns players, I'd say throw in uh, Abasoth's Unmaking. And uh, if your warband is full of like a lot of aggro, then I'd say go with maybe Sphere of Akshai. Yeah, right. Um, if, if I may, just just real quick. Oh well, I was going to say something and then I totally forgot what it was. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll try to cover it. Yeah, I like Thanks. to uh, uh, personally. I like to think of the uh, the fighters in this warband kind of like chess pieces. That's uh, you know I grew up playing chess and. Uh, that's just why I relate him to in my mind. And uh, Carthane to me is more like a rook where he's better to wait towards the mid to late game to really get him in. So I usually try to keep him uh, towards the middle or back until, you know, at the earliest, the very end of round one, like the last activation, he might be the guy to charge in there or, you know, throw a bag of tricks on or something like that to get him inspired. 
Um, but then round two and round three is when I want him to be into the fray. But until then, I just don't want him being in the mix at all anyways. And with that in mind, uh, you know, magic isn't really the most, uh, you know, the line of sight stuff and the range restrictions yeah, and stuff like that. Stuff. Like, That's... yeah, sometimes if you're building for magic around him and like round one, you're just not going to use those cards. Then I just don't like that. Right. And I remembered what I was going to say is that if somebody's able to pick him off early, if I'm playing my deck, that potatoes four of my cards. Yeah. Uh, because I had three spells and I also had the uh, the score immediately for for using for casting a spell, which might not even work if you have one die that you're that you're throwing. Um, I, I find these guys to be very similar to the Guardians. Do you guys agree? Yep. with that yeah, except for the fact that they're they're um the 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 most powerful uh fighter is kind of switched from the um from the wizard to one of the other guys it would be as if like gallinghan was the best guy in that team right which he is well i don't know i think you'll i think i think a souped up yothari is like pro- like a problem but um, but with Yothari, you have to like spend time getting her inspired, putting a few things on her, and making her a beast. Whereas Scathe is kind of like a beast already. Like you just all you have to do is charge once. Now he's a beast. Mm-hmm. With that with that scything attack, really great against yeah, Horde Warman. Yeah, I d- I did a number on some on uh Michael, you know Michael Stennon. I did a I did a number on his contemners with uh with that couple of you know pit trap here, snare there, put them all together, stood right next to him. Killed two condemners, did a little damage on the third one. It was great. It was yeah, great. It felt if good to me. Can, if you can get great strength on him and get that and set up for a good um, diving attack, that will yep. really ruin people sometimes. You could just uh, run just, right there. We'll just win the game right on the spot right there. I, I've uh, I've done a scything attack with him in a game before where I believe he had great strength. Uh, I have Kronoth, which gives him plus one dice to everyone yeah, with attack yeah. actions. Yep. Yep. And, and trophy belt. And he killed... Ooh four ghouls or you know grimwatch fighters all in one you know uh, activation and inciting attack and like and based just, off the kills like out of that and like the objective of the score i had like 10 glory off that oh one man you just you just you went from donald duck to scrooge mcduck in like one turn yeah i'm gonna go, go swimming through that stuff <laughs> the, come on man just the avalanche all right of gold um coins let's uh, move on let's talk about objective placement with these guys i think it's really important for them uh, Matt, what what do you think here in your experience with them? What happens if you win the role? What happens if you lose the role? So the way I play them, I like to play them a little bit more cagey. Um, meaning I like to stay in my half of the you know the board setup until I'm ready to 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 get out there and attack again because I'm trying to protect my fighters till they're till I, I see the good time to inspire them with a charge action. So I'm a little more strategic in, in how I attack versus in the past when I played like Godsworn Hunter Reavers. It's just, you know, I pull up four, uh, four charge tokens and that was it. But um, but yeah, so these guys, I play uh, Purifying Rites, which is the same thing as the Reclaimed Lemon Terry card yep, for Ethars. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's great if all you have is one objective token in your board uh, or in your half because, um, you know, you just stand that one and then you can score Purifying Rites, which is hold every objective token in uh, one or more players' uh, territory. Um, but the problem I'm finding right now with that is uh, with so much focus on hold objectives, um, it incentivizes you to put the that second token or, or you know third token really if you if you get the uh, the tokens and it incentivizes you to try to give those away to your opponent, which they want. 
and that's that's a real issue. So with the current meta, it's it's kind of tricky, but it really depends on your matchup. Ideally, you want one or two in your half, though, in order to score, uh, score pure fun rights. Yep. Um, I was definitely always trying to get one. Um, one thing I like to do is put um, the other objectives that I have and try to get them on the midline. Mm-hmm. Um, because then they don't, then it depends on what my opponent has also. Like if they're, um, if they're a group that has stuff to stand on objectives, I like, especially with, with our, our threat range and with our, uh, ability to, to, to kill things that are small, uh, you know, two, two, uh, damage guys like crypt goals or whatever. I want them to be in range of me so that if I see one stepping onto an objective, I can just go in there and knock them off or, or kill them right. outright. So I don't want them to be like too far away because I want to be able to maybe use a, an attack to kill one, uh, to, to, to clear an objective rather, but I also don't want them in my zone. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of times I was trying to put them on the midline. Um, and then just have one in my zone. Yeah. And I play swift capture with them. So instead of putting it on the midline or no, in no one's territory, uh, I like to put just one up, like the very first uh, row of hexes in my opponent's territory. So that way I have one in my half, and then I can just jump you know, right over the midline and capture the second one and get swift capture as well. Yeah, and um, I am dumb and didn't put swift capture in my deck, even though that was probably a really great idea. And now that we were talking about it, I'm like, oh, that's definitely better than some of the other stuff I have. Yeah. Should have totally put that in. It's just a great card. I know. It's in my Grimwatch deck. It was in my Despoilers deck. What's that? Swift Capture is better than 90% of what you were doing oh, yeah. before. Yeah. No, I know. I don't know why it wasn't in there. It's just like, what am I doing? Grimwatch. Gr- Grimwatch has to have it. No, and I, mean, I would say I would say Despoilers I had in the Despoiler deck that I was playing. Like, why? What, what was wrong with me? Um, okay. So that sounds good. Um, so what kind of tech are you putting into this deck? Uh, for me, uh, it's a lot of damage, um, boosting stuff. So I have like lethal ward, uh, encroaching shadow, or I was running encroaching shadow for a while. Um, and you know, pit trap, uh, Obviously. snare, snare um, gotta have it. yeah. Uh, inspired attack. Um, yep. Uh, what's, what's there on great strength. Um, so, you know, a lot of like damage, extra damage output stuff is again, they, they lack in the damage output department. Uh, but one card that I've been playing around with recently, I've actually been finding pretty good success with is unchecked energy. Yeah. This is t- uh, tell us about this one. What does it do? Because this is, uh, an old night vault card that I think a lot of people kind of have glazed over. Yeah. It's, uh, so the card, uh, basically says you use a lethal hex and then you roll an attack dice for each, uh, enemy fighter or sorry for each fighter that is adjacent to that hex and on a roll of uh, hammer or crit the that fighter suffers one damage. Um, so it's similar to the card, uh, black powder sphere, which I also was running with these guys for a little while when they first came out. Um, but black powder sphere is you scatter three sorry you you pick a hex within three hexes of a friendly fighter you scatter you know from that hex and then you scatter one and wherever it lands then you roll one die and on a hammer or crit um you know everyone adjacent to it or in it suffers one damage so the difference being is that unchecked energy you roll a die for each individual fighter versus black power sphere you roll for everyone so i like transfer um sorry unchecked energy because the law of averages i think that it's just more consistent with its damage output and it catches uh, ghost players, either Banshees or Thorns of the Briar Queen, off guard because they're not thinking about those lethal hexes. And right. I just like it because it plays into the current meta of Horde Warbands pretty well. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, I think I think Black Powder Sphere is a little bit more um, 
versatile because you can kind of throw it anywhere, right? Yeah. Whereas um, unchecked energy is more, and there's a lot more lethal hexes in the game now because mm. you can put down the tokens. Yeah. So so it's it's become a little bit more viable just because there's more options where a there used to not viable. be as many options. Right. Well, yeah, and and this is one... a card that we never saw before because you, you, we didn't see too many lethal hexes on boards previously. Right. Um, and, and now that you can place them, this card becomes way better. Yeah, right. and, and and another uh, thing, if I may, um, you know, there are certain spots like if you draw that up in your first hand, mm -hmm. there are you can you can place lethals right next to spawning hexes, and just do it right away and yeah. just get some stuff right away, and and they'll have you know there there are certain boards that have a lot of lethal hexes right near each other, um, and you can just you know throw a lethal hex right next to it, and then just use it right there in the first power step. Maybe right. before your opponent gets to do anything. And I've, I've done that before uh, where I place the lethal hex right in the middle of a cluster of, um, you know, um, start points or whatever, the yep. little spawn points. Yeah, the spawning hexes. Yeah. Spawning and, hexes. Um, you know, if I didn't have this card in my very first hand um, and, you know, if I had like three upgrades or basically I had like a, like a mediocre hand, uh, I would actually opt to mulligan that hand and try to draw uh, five more to get unchecked energy right off the bat because you just catch your opponent off guard. And uh, just real quick, the, the big difference between this and Black Power Sphere, I think Black Power Sphere has a range restriction, has to be within three hexes of a friendly fighter, versus Unchecked mm -hmm. Energy doesn't. You can just right. like... It can just be know. across the board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like that. Yeah. All right. So speaking of this, we've, we've already said a bunch of uh, cards that we would like. Let's go over some cards that you and I both agree on. Uh, that we both put into our decks, regardless of uh, of play style, that we think are just kind of like not not auto include, but certainly like something you should definitely give a lot of uh, uh, a thought to. Um, that we thought were great in these wild hunt decks. So we'll start with uh, the card Hunt's End, which is a hybrid card. If I if I'm not uh, mistaken, it's which are remember hybrid cards are those or statements. You can do this or you could do that. You could deal with this or you could deal with that. You can go with this. Because this is that. where it's at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So Hunsand, you have two choices. You can either kill something with four damage, four wounds, or you can Supremacy. It yep. happens in any end phase, and it's two uh, glory, which is, I, I think, pretty great. Hmm. Yeah. yeah the, the, this Warband is super flexible. I've been finding that um, to be true for them. So you can kind of... You know, depending on what your opponent's doing, you can be like, okay, well, I'm just going to hang out back here and starve you of glory. Uh, or if your opponent's trying to go for objectives, like, okay, I'm going to come out of my my shell a little bit. I'm just going to start going on murder spree. Um, and Hunsen is a perfect card to play into that play style. You get them, you know, kind of sit back and try to hold objectives, or you can uh, come out and play and, and try to kill a four-wound fighter. Which are like the two things that you're going to try to do with this, these guys anyway. So mm -hmm. you can kind of read the board state and say like, I think I can score this no matter what. Um, yeah. I mean, I, and also I've seen like people put, you know, uh, sudden growth on a chain rasp. His name is Randall. And then I would kill that chain rasp and that's now a four wound fighter. So, uh, you know, so that, that scores it for me. And then there are other times when I've just used pushes to put, you know, a bunch of guys onto, um, you know, onto objectives at the end. And now I'm scoring supremacy and, and there's my two right there. So uh, yeah, I like it in both ways, and I, I think it's it's also not um, a score immediate. It's a very strong end phase scoring card, and we're looking for those good end phase scoring cards now. Yeah, those those are subtle, 
or one subtle thing just to say about Hunt's End is the uh, first uh, part of that hybrid card. It just says that the uh, a character or a fighter with four wounds or greater is out of action. It says nothing about your warband had to take them out of action, right? Oh, wait, so, for real? Yeah, so let's say... I didn't even notice that. You can get that on Scathe? Um... Yeah, sorry. What? If your scathe dies, it counts. No, 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 no. It's no, no, no. just oh, saying that it, it, it just says if an enemy fighter with four wounds is out yeah. of action. So if you oh yeah, them on the yeah, last yeah. turn and then you draw this. No, then, yeah, it could yeah, have, you could yeah. have killed it in in round one and you drew it right, up at the end of the right. game. He's out, right? Yeah, or, no, that idea. Or um, let's say like they they died because of a lethal hex, or someone wanted to get cheeky and you know lethal ward their own fighter with crown uh, crown of avarice on them or whatever it right. is. It just says that they're out of action. So it's just like a subtle difference. Uh, it doesn't say that you're warband hand to take them out of action, just that they are out of action. Right, yeah. right. Okay, yes. That, that, I, th- I thought you were like, wait a minute, I could have killed my own guy. It definitely no. says enemy fighter on enemy it. Enemy fighter, yeah. okay. We're it good, is. we're good. All right, crisis averted. All right, so we like Hansend. Uh We like purifying rights. We already talked about why. Uh, same positives and negatives to reclaim the limitary. Um, you like uh, Rundown? Yep. And rundown is a one where if uh, it's, you know, it's basically you kill something with a charge. Yeah, you just do what you want to do already, and uh, you're going to be kill doing someone with anyway. charge. Yeah, you score yep. one glory immediately. I like the uh, I like the picture of Scathe chasing a very frightened goblin. Now that is definitely not. That's definitely that really does not look to me like uh like a git. Yeah, that looks like, a, like some other goblin. Looks like a wolf riding goblin. Maybe it's one of the wolf riders. Now, what's interesting also is that this wolf riding goblin appears to not be on a wolf. Right. Well, people are saying that that's the goblin. That, that, that there might be a goblin in the upcoming ogres team. Whenever that. Oh, uh, there might be one of those guys. Hmm. I gotcha. All right, maybe it's one of those guys. All right. Well, anyway, uh, so we like that one killing something for a charge. It's kind of what you want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we said, uh, pit trap and snare got to have them in there. All right. Um, let's talk about keep them guessing. Oh yeah. So the keep them guessing. Um, so, uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, I had like friendly debates with people, uh, you know, like on the big discord and stuff like that. And one side of the aisle, uh, says keep them guessing. And then one side of the aisle says keep chopping. Keep chopping. Yeah. Right. Um, I personally think keep guessing you have to go that all day with this war band because there's two other cards I put in my uh, deck that yep. I can actually score keep them guessing with just one fighter um, or I can score keep them guessing uh, in two activations. So fleet of foot and fast shot uh, fleet of foot uh, basically the card says that if a friendly fighter has no move or charge tokens on them, you can make a move action with them. So that's one free action. Um, and then fast shot, uh, is restricted to tell Thane, but when she makes a range three attack action, she gets to make another range three attack action for free. So let's say you charge with her. Now she gets yeah. to followed up with another, char- uh, attack action. So that's so two that's for two one right there. Yeah. Right. So, so theoretically, uh, you know, if the cards come out in right order for you, which has happened for me before, um, very first action, you put car Thane on guard or blow his horn action or something like that. Getting then, horny. Yep. Then you play uh, Fleet of Foot. He moves to a token or something like that, maybe trying to set up purifying rights. And then activation two, you charge in uh, Elfane with fast shot, and then you just scored, keep them guessing with two activations. Uh, yeah. And then you still have two more activations. You can charge, you can mm-hmm. charge. Absolutely. All right. It's pretty good. Well, both, um, of so them, we... both of the, both of those cards are 
both pretty restrictive in that it kind of sets up your play for the next round and you don't really have a choice you really want to score that card <laughs> and keep them keep them guessing and keep them chopping are are different cards but they both kind of force your right they, they, yeah. they determine what happens on your turn so yeah they they really dictate your strategy which yeah. is constricting i agree um but again because you have the flexibility of being able to score keep them guessing uh through the you know the tech cards um it frees up those other activations to still make your attack actions or charge do whatever yeah you it makes do. it a little little simpler in that case Vers- versus them. keep chopping it says you have to make uh, and attack action and four more activations. So that means right. in your four activations, you have to, you know, make an attack action. Attack or charge in each one. Right. Yeah, you can't yep. cheat it out with the fast shot or the. Or yeah. The no. No, that would still yeah. count as the same activation. Yeah. Yep. Right. I was going to say. Keep them guessing, or not keep them guessing, uh, ready for action, but that's not in the game anymore. No, it's not in the game anymore. <laughs> and I think Unless that that, that doesn't work with keep chopping anyway. Mm-hmm. Correct. Because it's in the same. It's not in an activation. It's in the power step. Yeah, the only card I know that works to keep chopping uh, when it's not your activation specifically is uh, stand and shoot. Right, or aggressive defense, or yeah, that happens. Yeah, in, does in aggressive defense do? activation, right? Or I think aggressive defense is after. Oh, that's after. Okay. Yeah. Or is it during their attack that? Uh, okay. I don't know. It's one of those, stand and shoot it's... definitely does because that's during their move action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that one does. Uh, but I think aggressive defense fell into the same realm as um, my turn. So it's after. Okay, my bad. Yeah, Sorry. I think. Um, you know, somebody smarter than me probably knows better. I don't yeah. know. All right. So, so moving on. Uh, you said you really like trophy belt. Yeah, and then trophy belt's huge. It's it's unrestricted. Um, you know, it's any offerings. hunter. It's, yeah, any, it's any hunter. So it's everybody except for the kitty. Right, and that's actually another big point about this warband that we failed to mention. Uh, four of the five characters are all innately hunters, so they get to benefit from all the cool hunter upgrade stuff that we're seeing throughout the season now. Or we'll see, yeah. Yeah, and Trophy Belt's a perfect example of that. It's unrestricted Tome of Offerings that you can put on a hunter, and you know when they get a kill... You get one kill for the or one glory for the kill, and then one spent glory for trophy belt if they are not a uh, a quarry, and then if they are, then you get you know unspent glory. So, yeah, but really, if you're getting that many kills, like you know, you don't really need the spent glory. Like, right? Yeah, how huge you do. I wanted you're to already ask, getting one. How how big of a detriment do you feel it is tro- trophy belt? How how big of a downside is it getting the spent glory token? Are you are you really that bothered no. by that? Uh, or? No, I, I, I'm not bothered. I don't. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I'm not bothered by either. Especially the whole point if, of the game is to get glory. Like I'll yeah. take it up or down. I don't care. Sure. Yeah. And I guess if and you're if you, killing a guy, you get one anyway, right? You get one. Yeah. Exactly. Unspent one anyway, so it's not that. And big if of a deal. and if you can get on Scaife and he does a siding attack, and you know you get a couple kills off that, like, yep. you're not complaining if they're spent. Nope. Right. So. Now I I have seen uh, versions of of lists similar to this that run trophy belt and home of offerings how do you feel right. about that i mean it's it's a viable strategy uh, it's just you know kind of whatever you want like i my three restrictors i run for them currently is fired up pit or not fired up sorry i uh, calculated risk pit trap and sudden growth um just because i like the flexibility of of having the passive glory with calculated risk um because again i can play more cagey i can sit in my half and kind of build up and wait um versus tr- having the tone of offerings you're really, really hoping to get that kill off. And if you don't get that kill off, you're screwed. So 
Um, I don't run it, but it's very you know possible to run it. I'm sure people have done it to great success so far. All right. Yeah, and uh, we talk also doesn't work with, uh, you know, these little plank damage, the unchecked right. energy and uh, oh, right. yeah. lethal ward. Yeah. Pit trap and snare. They don't. And they we're running a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But either way, you're still getting the kill off. And I don't, I, I'd rather them be dead and get one glory for it or whatever than, uh, than, than, than the alternative. So I don't care. All right, sounds good. Uh, so we we already talked about fleet of foot. You get to move two unmoved guys. That's pretty strong. That's some or, good action economy there. Gets to move one one guy that doesn't have a mover charge token. Hunting oh, concert. Is that, that's is the, the one, one I was talking about. Yeah, and that's another one that we want to talk about. That's pushing two guys up to one or two hexes or something like that. Let me see. One, one. It's one. Yep. Man, if it's two, uh, that'd be crazy. Choose two uh, friendly yeah. fighters and push, push, each push one them up, up to one, one hex. hex, which is great. Um, I've scored uh, Hunt's End off of that, where people didn't even notice I was going for it, and I, I, ch um, I think I charged in at the end and landed like in the final activation. I landed on um, an objective with um, Scathe and threw the 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 spear. And then in the power step right before the end phase, I just moved both of my little guys onto one each and, and scored it. Did it on Vassal the other day. Yeah, pretty, Hunt and Concert sweet is really good for scoring purifying rights and... Yep. Yeah. Hunt's in. Yeah, people don't see it coming. Yeah, it's also good, good against the Grimwatch because they have those cards where they can just run onto the objective and score it immediately. So if you're playing against yeah. Grimwatch, you can just kind of position yourself so that you can maybe attack with um, your uh, range characters and then move them onto the objective so that they can't just run in there and grab them from you. I yep. like hunting concert. A, a I, whole I, I think just in general, push cards are really strong. Yeah. Anytime you have a card that allows you to push two friendly fighters uh, for you know for free, essentially, it's just uh, double it's, sidestep. It's really yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. Well, there was a card like that in the leaders pack. I can't remember what it what it's called, but uh, similar. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, quick advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? That one's that that one's no longer viable though. Right, that right. Got, that got rotated. But that one needed to you, your leader needed to be alive, and you couldn't push your own leader with it. You had to push your right. other guys, and then this one is just straight better. Right, but it's faction specific. Yeah. All right. Um. So moving on, uh, we also have hail charm, and mm -hmm. now hail charm is basically the same as demonic resilience. Um, so how are you playing this? Who are you putting this on? I put it on Scathe if I can. Almost all the time, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he's, he's the most durable. And if you put it on him and you get, uh, sudden growth on him, especially, but, uh, yeah. or like great, uh, great fortitude or something, you know, it's taking a lot of attacks to kill him. Right. And you want to keep him, you want to keep him up as best you can. Right. Yeah. yeah Cause he's the uh, guy that gets the, the trophy belt and. You know, he's the guy hitting multiple yeah. fighters at once. Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah, and you need to usually throw him in there. If you want to get a nice diving attack, you usually have to throw him pretty deep in your opponent's territory and he might die. So giving him the hail charm makes him, you know, you're always going for that. You need at least two activations to kill my guy. That's what, that's the goal. Then you, you know, it becomes a lot harder for your opponent to deal with him. Yeah, I mean, I and there are also if you have somebody sitting on an objective and your opponent kind of sees that and they might go after them, you can throw hail charm on a different guy to make him like kind of less killable. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, uh, so that's good. So we like Hail Charm. Um, we like Eye of Kunroth. Yeah, I have uh, Kurnoth. Right. Kurnoth. I don't know. No, it's Kurnoth. Kurnoth. Am I doing that wrong? Kurnoth. Is it? Kurnoth. Oh, it is Kurnoth. Yeah. I, I spelled that wrong. Okay. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> All right, so and and that's the one where it just adds another uh, dice to the attack of the uh, fighter who has it, but also gives them ensnare if they're a quarry. Mm-hmm. And that's only come up like once for me. There was that one uh, thing where you make the you, you, this particular guy's on guard all the time. Oh, what is yeah. that one? La- last weekend, uh, Michael Stanett was running the that card um, it, with his. Condemners, where your guy counts as being on guard. All the, it's an yeah. Upgrade. What was it called? Survival uh, instincts. Survival, survival yeah. instincts. That's it. Yeah. So right. your guy counts as being on guard all the time. However, he is a quarry, and this is really the only card that we see people use that kind of cares about quarry. I guess other than mm-hmm. snare. So far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, not not snare. Um, snare counts cares if you're a hunter. But yeah, so this is um. Really, the only card that we see people run nowadays that cares about quarry. Um, so, if they come out with some cards later on that are similar to that, where it's like you're a quarry but you get this bonus, the the Eye of Kurnoth will be able to even better. Them. And it's just yeah. an awesome upgrade anyway because it's not restricted to anyone in the warband; it's just hunter. So that's you know any anybody that you're going to actually want to put upgrades on, and you get that one more dice, which is great, yeah. especially for these guys. Yeah, the cat's the only one that's not a hunter. But then again, you're not worried about the cat. Yeah, you're not I literally, upgrades I literally keep anyway, the cat yeah. off to the side and just wait for it to score a calculated risk for me. Yeah. All right, or go cool. run across the board and bop some guy off an objective. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I've only really activated the kitty like maybe five or six times out of all my games. It's... He's kind of he's kind of the spite shroom of this yeah. group. And make sure you remember that the cat cannot hold objectives. Can't hold objectives. Right. Can't can't take uh, upgrades. Right. He's he's a that little bit better than Grawl. So so there is one funny play I like to make with the cat is I'll keep him in the back, and then when I have um, calculated risk in hand and transfixing stare in hand, I'll ch- ah. I'll, I'll run him through lethal hex, scoring calculated risk. I'll run up to an enemy fighter. And if I don't think that Warband would run aggressive defense, I'll just make the charge action. If I do think they're going to run aggressive defense, I won't even charge them. I'll just run them up within two hexes of them and then play Transfixing Stare to shut them down. Nice. Yeah. So it's it's just like a funny play. I, I just feel like it's like I'm just trolling my opponent anytime I do it. Well, Transfixing Pretty. Stare has been popping up a lot in the meta recently, and it, it's, mm-hmm. it is quite strong. Oh, it's tough. It's, it's great if against... If somebody uh, does that to you, yeah. Yeah. It's great against a lot, it, you know. Great against Malog. It's good against the Briar Queen. It's good against Scathe. Uh, yeah, good against um. Real tough. Grimwatch. It's it's good against a lot of a lot of warband. It it protects you from getting like charged in your in your territory, and it also pr- protects or prevents uh people from running into your territory and maybe holding your objectives too. Awesome. And there, and then also, uh, Skates Wild Hunt does have one anti-transfixing stare tech card, which is Swift as the Wind. I think it's called. You yeah. remove a, a move token off of fighter who has a move token. Right. So it's kind of neat little. Uh, I haven't bonus. I haven't seen people use that one too much. I remember when they first came out, I tried you know 
using that card in conjunction with like Long Strider and uh, Burst of Speed and it just and, and Potion of Grace and it was just more trouble than it was worth. So yeah, it's a lot, lots of balance there. Well, like, but, like it could happen. Like you could get it off fairly reliably, but it was just it was just mm-hmm. too much trouble. But I've been I've been torn with the idea. If Transfixion Stare does start to become uh, more popular, uh, and I'm playing Skate's Wild Hunt, um, I've been trying to tech that in more often. Yeah, maybe we throw that in. Yeah. yeah. It's a medical, but uh, keep so keep an eye on that one. All right, last one we wanted to talk about was uh, Bag of Tricks. Yeah. And you like that in this deck. I do. Uh, I think you can either go with Bag of Tricks or Tome of Glories because both of those cards put a charge token on your fighter, which helps them get inspired at the end of the, at the, end of the phase. The difference between the two, uh, even though Bag of Glories is you know, essentially a, a free glory, you can think of it almost as like a, um, an activation gets you a, a surge. You know, one, I mean, one yeah, glory. people were playing, uh, was it, uh, change of tactics all the time, mm-hmm. which is basically spend, you know, spend an activation, get a glory. Yeah, uh, or two really with, with yeah. uh, you know, change of tactics. But yeah, so Bag of Tricks, though, allows you to inspire them. Uh, but they do not have to be standing on objective token, whereas Tone Glories they do. Uh, and for me personally, I like to I like the ability of being able to reach into my deck and find that one card that I really need. Um, so I, I personally like Bag of Tricks. I leave it on the cat and you know just use him as my Bag of Tricks caddy, like you said earlier. You see, if it was a real cat, though, he would go into the Bag of Tricks and hide there, <laughs> and just like maybe go to sleep. <laughs> You know, roll around, bat at it, you know, and then if you tried to like put your hand into the bag of tricks, he would like slap at you. <laughs> Just he maybe he would push the bag of tricks off of a table yep. for no reason. I'm just saying that's that's my cat jokes for the day. All right, moving on. Um, all right. So we talked about So we think that those are the, the most important cards to consider if you're making a wild hunt deck. Um, now to board selection. Uh, another thing that you really have to be careful for. And Matt, you've done a lot of consideration when it comes to board selection. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm going to ask you, which are the boards that you like when you have the objective placement? And then I want you to tell me which boards do you like when you have the board configuration? Okay, so when I have the three objectives, um, kind of what I've done is I have like a little note on my phone uh, anytime I'm going to tournaments where I list out the three, my, my top three picks if I get the objectives, my top three picks if I get the board configuration. And, uh, you know, I just use that as a general reference. This uh, sounds like not... a keys to salvation, actually, but we have something <laughs> different for that. But this, so this is like your bonus mini key to salvation. Have your board selections ready to go. All right, but keep going. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's a little, it's a guide. You know, obviously you don't have to stick to that depending on who you're playing or whatever you think. But uh, if I'm winning the objective tokens, that means I do not get the board configuration. So I want to plan around that. I like uh, the cursed uh, oubliette. I think that's sure. you say it, right? It's apparently uh, a real word. Yep the the penitent's throne it's and an the the penitent's throne and the shattered refractor. Uh, those are my top three picks. And I can go into why uh, if you'd like. Oh, oh! Do you guys want to know what an oubliette is? Yes. It's a French word. It's I a secret it dungeon with access only through a trap door in its ceiling. So the rancor in in Return of the Jedi was in an oubliette. Yeah. That's cool. The more you know. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> we already had that conversation. All right. 
So I like these boards uh, because they, they, you know, go, they coincide with my general strategy for when I'm deploying. And what I like to do is I like to keep Carthane next to the cat if I can, or maybe Althane, uh, keep them adjacent to each other so that possibly they can give each other support if, you know, someone gets in there and tries to attack them. So I like to keep them uh, close to each other. And all three of these boards have at least two um, start points that are all adjacent to each other or, you know, two points that are adjacent to each other that allow me to deploy them in that manner. Um, and then also, cause they have such good speed, I can sit back a little bit further and, you know, uh, attack whenever I want to, or if I think I want to be more aggressive right off the bat, they have start points that are like right there at the edge. So whatever way you configure them, um, it's going to be generally the same, uh, same, you know, spot. And that's why I like those. Sure. And uh, which ones do you like when you have the board configuration? So if I get the board configuration, uh, I like Wormgrave uh, as my top pick, um, the Ruptured Seal, and then Abandoned Lair. Um, and again, it, it ties into that strategy of, of trying to sit back just a little bit, having uh, adjacent cert points so I can you know put Carthane next to someone. Right. Um, and then all these either have a conveniently placed lethal hex for me to, you know, score calculated risk with, or um, have like a kind of a general setup that I can place a lethal token uh, where I want in order to score calculated risk for myself as well. Gotcha. I mean, I'm looking at these three and they're all like wide open boards, no block hexes, yeah. maybe a lethal scattered here or there. Yeah. The penitence throne has two lethal or two block hexes, um, which is wait penitence throne. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on the wrong one. What did you say for that? Uh, no, for the three. You, if I win the three objectives, that's I like if you win the down. objectives, because yeah, yeah, you want a little bit of that so you can hide behind a little bit. Right. But um, so if well, I also like them to be open because I run fast shot. So having them you be open have, allows yeah, uh, yeah allows Althane to to just start planking people if they get too close and possibly knock them into lethal hexes. Gotcha. Sounds good. Um, I like it. So, um, how are we, what, so what do we think, what do we think about, uh, the wild hunt as far as like, what matchups do you want to see and which matchups do you not want to see? Uh, I, I personally, I like to see a horde war ban, um, even including the Grimwatch. Uh, I don't think now I'm undefeated against Grimwatch with Scape's wild hunt so far. Hell yeah. Um, uh, you know, just tooting my own horn here. Preach it. <laughs> Getting horny. All right. But um, yeah, just because Scathe with his um, you know, his scything attack and then yeah. trophy balance like that, like just the low can, the low wound count on some of yeah, the fighters makes exactly. it a lot easier. It, it plays into their into their strengths, I think. The only problem is is that again, you're kind of incentivized to give up the 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 tokens, the feature tokens. So you do have to run that risk, but as long as you plan out your attacks carefully, you can counter uh, your opponent trying to hold those objective tokens and rack up glory while you're doing it. Absolutely. And, and, and what do you not want to see across the table? I think anything tanky, like um, you know, any type of Stormcast or Molog. Uh, again, the low damage output just makes those matchups really tough. Right. 
I mean, it, 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 those guys are not particularly fond of standing in objectives. So that kind of opens that up a little bit to you, yeah. but, but just the inability to it, it. I, when I was playing against the condemners um, and to a lesser extent against the, the gun dwarves, cause the gun dwarves can get pretty tanky. Some of them. Um, yeah. It was difficult. You know, people would throw like Randall was playing the chaos and uh, through, um, you know, superior tactician, uh, superior tactician, <laughs> sudden growth on, um, on uh, Thundric. And I'm like, well, I, I can't get that guy now. Yeah. I think the two toughest matchups I've come up with him uh, for skates so far is against uh, the Banshees because they mm. just score passively so well. Like they're just yeah, going to outscore you. And if you get too close to them, they're just going to swarm you, inspire, and then, you know, scare you or whatever they do. I really had trouble in my Vassal League this, this, uh, this past one. I played this guy Dave from, uh, from up in Edmonton. And uh, and he was playing the Banshees, and uh, I will, will lost board rolls both times, so that probably went into it. But he was just scoring stuff way in the way back, and it was yeah. just really tough for me to to catch up. Right, and that's what they want you to do. They they kind of want to sucker you in, um, right. make you come to them. Yep. Um, but then also, uh, yeah, the the uh, Gun Dwarves, um, you know, Thundrix Profiteers, uh, just because they're also pretty tanky themselves, and they can just they can just shoot you from right. three hexes away and. They're just a tough matchup, I found. They're, I mean, they're they're a tough tough matchup for anybody to be honest right. with. Right? Yeah, they're 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 very good. They're definitely a tier, if if not. Oh yeah. Better. Oh yeah. So we so what do we think? What's what's the final verdict on Wild Hunt? Are they a tier? Are they s tier? What are they? So and just so, so that everybody knows, because Giblin talked about this, we were talking about this before we started yeah. recording. We uh, have that that s tier is like like top level GC winning kind of war bands a tier is kind of like just below that you could probably win a gc but it would take some doing b tier you're kind of on like almost hard mode and then like c tier is like bottom stuff that's like man don't don't even bring that to it i think it's even d tier i think it's even d tier. oh really like yeah which is like orcs, orcs? The yeah <laughs> but damn I, I, those orcs get such a bad bad rap people like playing them and they're just like not good but it looks like we're gonna get a, a new uh orc warband coming in yeah um so, so for for scathe i would i really really like them and i really want to say they're like a tier just because you know they have a, a soft spot in my heart for them not s tier but, but a tier but not yeah, second but, level down. Okay, but I would, but honestly, looking at them, I would say they're beats, they're beats here, probably. Oh, yeah, just, be, just taking a very, you know, uh, honest look at them because they are strong, but you know, they, they I think can't other rack things up, are just, yeah, yeah, they can't rack up glory as well as some war bands like you know, Grimwatch or, or Banshees or something like that. They, uh, they're very dice dependent. Yeah, if you I have, mean, if you have bad dice, you're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna definitely suffer if you're having cold dice. Um, but they do have some passive glory capabilities, like a you know, I I run purifying rights and hunt sense, like, or not hunt sense, but uh, you know, a couple other cards. Uh, like not as wild. much as other stuff. I, I think that they're Even, good, but they just you know they have other. They're just other war bands out there that are outpacing them. Yeah, and that's the thing is that they are strong. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, they have tons of flex capability they can go aggro they can play more cagey but overall i think they just get outscored a little a little more often than i would like to believe if that makes sense yeah and also i i think it's kind of telling because at the big events so far even after you know beast grave was dropped you're not seeing top level performers drawn to them 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't see any of them in the top 16 at Warhammer World, and I don't think they're, they definitely were not uh, mentioned in the St. Petersburg one. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody was playing them at SoCal. Like it seems like people are not drawn to them. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is people, you know, when you think like Nightfall, there is Storm, the Stormcast and the, and the ghost there. And I think so many people like went to Stormcast and it was like kind of like the easy mode thing. I think when Beastgrave came out, people just kind of assumed that Skaceball Hunt was going to be like that version, you know, like the easy mode warband. Yeah. That set. So they just wanted to play the spoilers and Grimwatch are just cool. So people want to play them too. So yeah, I think, I think now as many people play Skates, um, I won a 14 man tournament with them. Uh, yeah. As far as I know, that's the biggest tournament they've won. So. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, I, I think that you can win. You can win a local tournament with them, definitely. But yeah. a Grand Clash, I think you're you're asking a lot of them. Right. I was really disappointed to not see any of them in the top 16 or any, yeah. any players uh, piloting them in the top 16 and, during the Grand And in Clash. that top 16, we're seeing like what we'd expect to see. Grimwatch. Um, hold on, let me get to it. We're seeing Grimwatch. We're seeing KOs. We're seeing... Uh, let's see, hold on. Grimwatch, uh, yeah, Gundwarves, Cursebreakers, more Grimwatch, Thorns. It's like kind of what you'd expect. One Molog and then one Eyes of the Nine player. Oh, yes, right. One Eyes of the Nine. That's true. And that, that's a little curious. And, and actually fun fact, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention online, uh, but there was an orc player that made the top 16, but wasn't able to attend the second day yikes and that's a shame because i would have liked to have seen if they would be able to move any further right so big up to the guy who did that mm-hmm. um but what's going on man you gotta you you gotta like owe it to the community to get in there um <laughs> let me let me see uh, i well i i should have had that up but i can't find it and we're re- i don't want to like slow down the episode um so yeah all right so cool ready to go to keys to salvation ready do it all right let's do it all right, Matt. So as is tradition on on our podcast, uh, the if we do Keys to Salvation and we have a guest, the guest gets to choose the Key to Salvation. And Matt, uh, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, the place in the lethal hexes. Um, so I like this edition in Beastgrave. Uh, it adds another little element of kind of like the, the, the mini chess game when you're setting up boards. And I think when you're setting up your lethal hexes, Look to put them in an advantageous spot that's going to help you get a kill, whether that means behind like a starting hex or adjacent to a, uh, you know, an objective token. So that way if someone stands on it, you can potentially kill them uh, or whoever you're doing it. Just try to use it as best you can to score your objectives. Cool. And so what are some uh, cards that you might have in your deck that may change the way you consider your le- your your lethal hex placement. Uh, I mean, again, uh, I I run unchecked energy. That's probably the biggest one. Um, also, calculated risk is a of big course. factor in, in where yeah. I'm going to put it. Um, and just anything that's going to help me get those kills. Uh, I also run strong start, so that's another incentive on uh, where to put it. Cool. Uh, we were talking about Kunroth snare. Oh, yeah, and then Kurnoff Snare. Uh, so that's a, a surge card uh-huh. that if you knock someone into a lethal hex, you score uh, score one. Right. But so what's beautiful can... about that is you don't actually have to do damage to them. You just have to knock them into the hex. So you can score right. it off of pushing a ghost or banshee into it. 
Exactly. Um, per- personally, when I see ghosts and banshees, I, I I may consider not putting down the lethal hex just to have the board be a little bit less, a um, little bit be- a little less lethal to me because my opponent's not going to really give a crap if they're playing one of those two. So if that happens, I may even choose not to put one down. Yep. Well, it's interesting in in Matt's deck, he is using. I feel like he uses the lethal hex uh, for, for offense mm-hmm. a lot. And that even this is kind of nice tech against Banshees and Briar Queen in that the the unchecked energy will still hurt them and then pushing them into the the lethal hex will still hurt them. And a lot of times, um, you know, well, let's Banshee, that card. Yeah, Banshees and Briar Queen players will not play carefully around the objectives or the lethal hexes because they don't have to. And mm-hmm. he's saying that you can um with, with or with Matt's uh, deck, he can exploit that with the unchecked energy and the burnout mm-hmm. snare. Yeah. Right. So you're so Matt, you're you're definitely looking at it um from a offensive point of view, putting the p- placing your lethal hex in such a way where you can where it's kind of just like an extra pit trap in your deck basically. Yeah. I'm looking to utilize it to help me get those kills off. Yeah. And there right. you know, there are probably some other ways to to use it too. There are ways you could use it like defensively. Uh, depending on how you set up the board, like if you want to go for that diagonal setup with only three lethal hexes, yep. or sorry, with only three hexes in the on the midline, you can put one right on the mid there to to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Or I, what I like to do is a lot of times if I'm if I set the board up diagonally, um, people will want to like um, come in through the corners. They don't want to come in like through the the middle hex, mm-hmm. and I'll put it on the midline hex all the way to the left or all the way to the right so it's harder for them to to right so they have to run around it or run through it yeah yeah Yeah, you get to you get to use it to shape the battlefield so you could funnel your opponent into kind of like your kill zones like where you really want them to go or you can deny them certain you know entrances or areas of uh, you know like avenues of approach and stuff like that so uh yeah that's that's another great way of utilizing them Right, and then one one thing that I also considered is, um, you know, obviously what's going to happen to we're all getting used to this this new rule. Um, what what I like to do is put the lethal hex right behind one of the deployment hexes that is close to the front of their board, so that way that'll kind of prevent or d- discourage my opponent from placing fighters too close to the mid like mm-hmm. that. Because then I could just run in there and attack them and push them in once right on from the first activation. And that might be be enough to kill them. Um, so the, 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 the contrast to that is that you can defend your side of the board by placing objectives and tokens in a certain area. And that will prevent the lethal hexes from being put there. Right, and you get this kind of game within a game uh, of of just like the the the, ch- the chess pieces, not just being the fighters, but in this case also being uh, feature tokens, yeah, uh, putting them in spots where you don't want them to have be able to put a lethal. Exactly. And All you right. know, now now that you can place, like we were saying with with um, unchecked energy, now that you can place the lethal hexes on the board, a lot of cards that we weren't really looking at in the night vault season because. There weren't as many boards with lethal hexes, and people didn't te- tend to choose them a lot. Uh, those cards all are a lot more user usable right now. 
yeah, take a look at those guys again. Yeah. Absolutely. And also maybe take a look at cards that allow you to not be pushed. Those are kind of coming up a little bit, being on guard like that one, the uh, predatory instincts. Is that what it's survival called? In, survival survival instincts. instincts, yeah. Um, predatory instincts is like the opposite of the survival. But the survival instincts, if you're on guard, you can't be card pushed. Or something. So you can't be pushed into the lethal hexes, and you can't be pushed so that you get hit with pit trap or snare. So the the and it's it's just a thing I I noticed. Um, I'm sure a lot of us when we opened the beast grave box, I think when we read the rule book, we were happy that the with some of the rules changes where they just sort of tightened up a lot of uh the syntax of of the game and the different phases and things like that. And I remember I being kind of like disappointed. I'm like they didn't really change it too much. They didn't really add anything like like magic or and then they they have this like hunter and quarry thing which is not really like too relevant yet maybe by the end of the, the season it'll, it will be we but, felt um, the same thing about magic last season like right, we we're like right. eh, magic's not so great and then at the end it's like everybody's throwing spells right and so i was like oh they didn't really change the game too much all they did was kind of put this lethal hex thing out but the lethal hex is a huge game changer it, it and we're only really realizing the uh the effects of it a couple months or weeks in but it it really changes the entire game and how you deploy and you know how the how uh, durable your fighters are how long they're going to be on the board because if there's lethal hexes all over the place they're they can get pushed in and it changes your deck construction as you can see with uh with matt's deck with uh turn off snare and unchecked energy yeah so so everybody when you're at that part of the uh the board setup consider your lethal hexes carefully think about the matchup think about the cards you have in your deck think about uh what you're planning on doing in your first round and really think about where to put them and how they're going to help you and try to maximize that as much as you can all right so i think we did it yep. matt yep. thank you so much for being on we appreciate it um everybody don't forget to check out uh the crit def podcast uh you have five episodes out so far They've only gotten better as you've gone along. So, uh, we, you know, we appreciate you having you as part of the, the podcast community. Definitely. And, um, and thanks for coming on, man. Warzone yeah. Atlanta. Look out for that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We'll be covering yeah. that. And yeah, I'm definitely sure, uh, you know, I'm appreciate sure you guys having me detail. on. And uh, if anyone is in the Atlanta area, you know, I know it's a, a kind of a, a popular spot for people to come through for, for work or travel or whatever. Uh, drop us a line. Uh, we're at Gigabytes Cafe uh, on Monday nights too. So if you want to come by, get some games in. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, and so everybody make sure you go on to Podbean and uh, follow both Crit Def and also Battle for Salvation because we're cool too. And, uh, you know, go on. You have a Facebook page. You have a Twitter. What do you got? We have a Facebook page and we actually have a, an email. Uh, oh, yeah, which we talked about on our podcast. Uh, we just got up and running. Uh, I believe it's the. Um, actually, no, I can't. I can't really specify the name <laughs> right the, now. Is it like the the, the crit def podcast at yeah. Gmail or something like that? Yeah. I remember you said it at the yeah. end of the last episode. Well, you're yeah. gonna have to watch the episode. To, yeah, yeah, listen to the, the episode. Email, it's in there. So you can talk there you about go. Exactly. And then, and of course, battle for salvation also has a Facebook page. You can hit like on that. You should go. Go online right now. Go and follow both of these podcasts. Go to Facebook, click like, 
on both of our things. And, you know, it's like, it's a really good idea. And make sure uh, when you're going on to these things, make sure that you put ratings and uh, make sure that you put, uh, you know, comments on what you think about them. It really helps the visibility of the podcast quite a bit. So, and it doesn't really take a lot of time on, on, on our listeners part to just go out there, click, click a thing, click a thing, subscribe, whatever it is. Um, doesn't take too much and it really helps us out. So, and it's just, uh, just fun yeah. to interact with the community, you know? Exactly. So. Absolutely. I, I, I really appreciate that. You know, the, the, the podcast, you know, doing this podcast has really helped me to like, just meet a lot of people around the world and it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty great. Definitely. All right. So, uh, we did it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Matt, thanks for being on. So I'm going to say, uh, for battle for salvation underworlds podcast, this has been Max Bernstein. I'm Randall Slate. And that was Matt. Yep. All right. And we'll see you all next time.